Uh, you guys can be seated. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you uh, for this time of year and uh, what a special time of year it is. And it's an opportunity for us uh, to celebrate kind of two amazing things, uh, what you have done, uh, but also who you have done it for. And so we want to remember both those things this morning. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. It's not exactly everyone's cup of tea. I've actually uh, found over the years that what I'm about to say is a little bit of a Christmas controversy uh, because some people really, really love this movie uh, and some people really, really hate this movie, but National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is where it's at, all right? Uh, and I will go down fighting about this, all right? Um, I, I really enjoy uh, this movie. It's uh, one of those great kind of Christmas movies. Uh, how many of you, how many fans? Is there any, all right, a few of you are fans, all right. All right. It stars Chevy Chase, if you've never seen it. And the movie is about a very typical kind of over-the-top dad named Clark W. Griswold. And from the very beginning of the movie, he just wants to have a good, big, old-fashioned family Christmas, a Christmas where everyone is invited, everybody is there, everybody's all together, and from the get-go, it sounds like a great idea, but from the get-go, everything kind of goes bad. It starts out in the movie where they're trying to cut down their Christmas tree, and Clark forgets to bring the saw to cut the tree down, and they end up having to dig the tree out, right? Uh, they... Uh, the in-laws show up, and immediately when the in-laws start showing up, they begin fighting about every single thing, and that continues for the whole Christmas season. Uh, Clark puts lights on the house that kind of uh, stretch the city's grid a little bit, uh, but there comes a point where he can't get them to turn on, and he's super frustrated about that. And then Cousin Eddie. <laughs> Cousin Eddie shows up uninvited, right, with his two kids and his snarling dog, and it all starts to go south. And then the movie kind of hits its cringeworthy climax when Clark has been waiting for this huge Christmas bonus that he gets every year. And he's got, because he's gotten it every year, he's planned on the money already. He's put down the deposit on a swimming pool that's going to be installed at his house later that summer. But he's already put the deposit down. He needs the Christmas bonus to cover the deposit. And he's waiting and he's waiting and waiting. And finally, on Christmas Eve, the messenger from the company shows up, and instead of getting a huge check, Clark gets enrolled in the Jelly of the Month Club, <laughs> a gift that keeps giving all year long, right? <laughs> and he absolutely loses it. He loses his temper, um, not fit for children at all right in that moment, uh, but things just kind of go even worse from there. And of course, it all works out in the end, but there's tons of tension and a lot of cringeworthy moments all throughout the movie. And it is a noble desire, right? To have everyone together for the holidays. But if we're honest, everyone together is lovely, but it creates challenges, right? Everyone together means that you have more opinions, that you have more agendas, that you have more perspectives, that you have more thoughts, desires, everything the way you want them to go. To everyone together, it just creates attention. And so we started this series last week uh, called Wonder, and we're looking at some of the mystery texts, not the typical Christmas texts, but these mystery texts of the New Testament that kind of teach what God was doing the entire Old Testament what he was doing to bring us Jesus. And we've been unpacking this idea of just kind of standing back and wonder 
about what God, had, what God has done. While everybody else was playing checkers, God has been playing chess all along, right? And he has been organizing and aligning and working in order to bring us our Savior. But in this sermon today, we want to take a step beyond that. That's what we talked about last week, that God had also been working and aligning and organizing in order to invite everyone to the party so that everybody can know him and worship him and follow him. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes it. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, and that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given to me. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to who? To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul wants us to understand first what we talked about last week, that the mystery that is referred to in these New Testament passages, the mystery is Christ. That when you think about the Old Testament and you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of these early, Moses, all of these early church fathers, as they were walking through their life and they're wondering, what is God doing? Why is he moving in this way? What is he trying to accomplish? The early church fathers said the answer to that question is Christ. Christ is what God had been doing all along. And why was it so important to Paul that we understand that the mystery is Christ? This is what, Christ, what God was building to the whole time. Well, Paul kind of unpacks that in this thread a little bit. He says, you got to understand the message, first of all, that is Christ. All right, first of all, the message of Christ is the message of promise in Christ. All right, so last four years, January to around Easter, we have been walking our way through the book of Genesis. This coming January, to, uh, it's about a seven-week series. We're going to finish with Joseph, but each year we've been kind of working our way through Genesis, and the second section of that series was all about Abraham. And so you remember the story that God called Abraham to leave his country, his people, his father's household, and go to a land that God would show him. And along with this call, came promises. So in Genesis 12, here's how it says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And as the story of the Old Testament unfolds, all of this came true. 
Abraham, who hasn't heard of Abraham, right? Abraham's na name became great and known. Israel became a great nation. And the last part of that promise, ultimately it is through Jesus who came through Abraham's line that I believe the last part of the promise was fulfilled. The entire world would be blessed. Blessing, spiritual blessing, is found in Christ. And by blessing, I'm not talking about silver and gold of Rudolph, right? I'm not talking about silver and gold like, like they talk about in Rudolph. I'm talking about the blessing of being able to know God. The God you were created to know. I believe God placed inside of you a desire for him. And it is through Christ that we are able to know God, worship God, and follow God in this life and in the next. So it is a message of promise. It is a message of grace. The message of Jesus is ultimately the message of how our sins are forgiven and how we can become right with God. That, that baby in a manger, he eventually becomes a man and he goes to a cross and the story of the nativity is the story of God starting that process of God entering our world. I love the story of the grandfather that was visiting with his grandkids at Christmas one day, uh, one season, and his grandson was just wound for sound getting in all sorts of trouble, hyperactive, right? Your kids go hyperactive this time of year too, right? Not just me. Okay, just me. All right. Um, this kid was going hyperactive. So mom decided I'm going to put him in his playpen to settle him down a little bit. So she puts him in this playpen, and little Tommy, whatever his name was, he is not happy about being in baby prison at all, right? And so he is throwing a fit. He's upset. And grandfather walks over and he's looking at his grandson and he's making the gesture like he's going to pick him up out of the playpen. And he looks over and he catches mom's eye. She's got her eyebrow raised and she is scowling. Don't pick that boy up. He's in trouble. Do not pick that boy up. He is in trouble. He is in baby prison. And so grandfather stops from it. He looks at mom and all of a sudden he climbed into the playpen with his grandson. <laughs> he entered his world. The gospel says we were in trouble. That our sin were, was, our sin was not creating small problems. That our sin was creating massive problems between us and God, us and others, and us and, our, and ourselves. Right? I, we often think that, man, the greatest thing that has been done to me has been a sin against me, and that may be true, but I hurt myself all the time. Right? Sin was creating massive problems, and God saw those massive problems, and you know what he did? He got into the playpen. He entered our world so that he could save us and redeem us and forgive us, and that is the message of Christmas. It's a message of grace. It's a message, message of wisdom. We talk about this all the time, but it's true. Salvation and grace are not the only things Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring us the wisdom of God. And so Jesus, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. So if you ever want to know what it looks like to be fully human, look to Jesus. Look to the example of Jesus. He will teach you how to be an ideal human being. He will teach us what it means to walk in love and what it, what, what it means to walk in grace and what it means to walk in kindness and what it means to walk in wisdom. He is the picture of grace. We just need to look to him. Our culture has a tendency to believe that we need to look to celebrity for those types of answers. And I've used this uh, illustration before, but I want to use it again because it was really powerful to me. Several years ago, probably... Uh, 
don't email me about this. You might disagree with this, and that's okay. But probably what is understood to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady. Don't boo. I know people don't like him. From I know how this goes from the last time I used this illustration, right? But he's one of the most foot, famous football players, most successful players of all time. And it was after his third Super Bowl that I saw him interviewed on 60 Minutes. Uh, and so he's won a couple more since then. But I want to show you a little bit of how this exchange went uh, up on the screen for you. Brady says, there's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And 60 Minutes interviewer Croft says, what is the answer? And Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. He'd received the height of popularity uh, and reward in his line of work. And he says, there's got to be more out there. And Tom, if you're watching this, <laughs> I'm going to look right into the camera at you. <laughs> you don't have to wonder. Life is found in Jesus, which means wisdom is found in Jesus. It's a message of wisdom. It's a message of freedom, which is funny because a lot of times at Christmas doesn't feel like freedom, does it? <laughs> we have so much expectation and tradition that we feel like we have to follow, so many rules about what it takes to have a great Christmas. Christmas can start to feel not like freedom, but more like prison. But the scriptures are clear. The Bible is clear. Christ came into the world to bring us freedom. So in the past, before Christ, there was a lot of tradition and expectation and rules for how a person could be forgiven and made right with God. That is one of the stories of the Old Testament. Let me give you one example. So the high priest would go in and, uh, uh, and, and bring Israel to a place of forgiveness with God, and there was a bunch of rules and regulation that high priest needed to follow. You know what they would do? They would tie a rope around him in case he did it wrong and died in the most holy place. That's how many rules and regulations they were. And this guy was the top of his field. So he would go into that most holy place where God was and he, with a rope tied around him in case he died. Right? Can you imagine worshiping that way today? Right? You come in here and we all have a rope tied around our waist. This is in case you do it wrong. Right? Yeah, I mean, I suspect our attendance would be less. Right? <laughs> That's what it was like in the Old Testament. And Christ came and he took that role for us. He became our high priest, the one who obeyed the rules perfectly, the one who became holy in our place. He became our holy high priest, and he did that so that we could be free, not free to do whatever we want. That's not what, the free, what freedom is in the New Testament. It's free from the legal and rules-based system of how we become right. He, our high priest, makes us right. He assumes that responsibility. So when you come in here, you come in here in freedom. There is no rope tied around your waist. You might be bored to death, but that is different than actually dying, right? That, 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 that he has made us right. He assumes that responsibility. So through Jesus, we are free to know God and follow God and worship God and, yes, obey God. It's a message of confidence, Last one. 
We see this throughout the scriptures, how holy God is, and by comparison, we see how not holy we are. And Jesus gives us this ability to approach God with confidence. Now, we're humbled by his holiness. We approach him with fear and trembling, and we still, but we still have a posture of worship. The person of wonder that truly understands wonder approaches God with confidence, but not arrogance. Right? And those are two different things. The confident person believes their prayers are heard, their worship is accepted, and their relationship with the God is intact through grace. The confident person believes that. Then when they pray, the confident person is like, I know my prayers are being heard. I know my worship is being received. I know I'm okay with God. Because of the grace of Jesus, the arrogant person approaches God with an entitled spirit and a self-absorbed spirituality that flows from a concentration on my goodness and not his. And so these truths of, what, of the mystery that is Christ, what he came to do, they are amazing. But Paul wants to teach us something further. That the mystery that Christ came to, re- to, to, to reveal, the answer to the question of what God is doing is not just that the mystery is Christ, but up on the screen for you, that this is for everyone. It's not for a select group of people. It's not for special people that he came to bring this message of confidence and freedom and grace and forgiveness of sins. He came to bring it for everyone. So listen, freedom is for everyone. Grace is for everyone in Christ. Love is for everyone. God is for everyone. This is what Jesus came to do and be for us. See, the story of Israel, uh, the story of the Old Testament is the story of God working through Israel as a nation to establish a a nation and, and to do what he was planning to do all along. And listen, God loves Israel. I think Romans teaches that God absolutely still loves Israel, but the story of the New Testament is the story of God's, Uh, of of the mystery of God becoming a reality. And so now Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews alike, are invited to Christ. And so everybody now is invited to the party to know him and be forgiven by him and have freedom in him and confidence in him. The mystery is not just that Christ came. The mystery is that now Christ is for everyone. And just like old Clark had issues at Christmas time, because he wanted everyone invited to the party... How many of you know the early church faced tension when this became the reality? When it became clear that God wasn't just inviting the Jewish people, that he was inviting everyone, all of a sudden, woo, some tension entered into that room. Uh, Some big time tension uh, of how is God going to accomplish this? And part of it was that there was already a cultural and racial tension that existed when Jesus came into the world between Jews and Gentiles. Some of the early uh, Jewish people that Jesus was, was dealing with, they were raised in, envir- in an environment where if you accidentally touched a Gentile, you needed to go home and wash your hands and your body. They were raised in an, an environment where if a Gentile woman was having a baby, you couldn't help because you'd be bringing another non-Jew into the world. They were raised in an environment where you were never allowed, uh, uh, you never allowed a Gentile to enter into your home, and they were raised to hate Gentiles and to hate Samaritans and to hate the Romans. Right? Not everybody, but enough that this was one of the things that Jesus had to address time and time again. And so this is fighting, this cultural, kind of spiritual, racial issue is fighting against this message that Paul is proclaiming, that hey, This is for everyone. 
Everyone's invited to Jesus. Everyone's invited to know him and be forgiven by him and find confidence in him and to experience new life. It is for everyone. So this tension begins to rise as Paul is proclaiming this message. People are like, ooh, we we are uncomfortable with this. We, We don't know what to do. And so they did what they knew how to do. What they, they, knew what they, they, they did what they knew to do. They had a church meeting. They'll solve almost everything. <laughs> um, so they had a church meeting, and here, here's what happened. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So the question they're considering is, if you're a Gentile and you want Jesus, do you need to become Jewish first before you can come to Christ? Right? It involved a surgery. It's Christmas. We're not going to get into it. All right? So this is... <laughs> This was, this was the big question. If you're a Gentile and it's for everyone and you want to come to Christ, do you need to become Jewish first? And they met to address this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by the giving of the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did for us. He did not discriminate between us and them. Peter's point is like, this is what we do as human beings. God did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And I'm telling you, Peter got up, James later gets up, the the brother of Jesus, and they saved the day. They said, no, no, we're not going to make this harder. This is for everyone. Grace is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. They can come just as they are to Christ and receive forgiveness and grace and new life and freedom and confidence. I love what they say. Essentially what they say is it's for everyone. So he says, we need to be a people of grace. And we need to be a people that are welcoming because this is what Jesus has proclaimed to us, that his gospel of good news, Christmas, is for everyone. And sometimes what can happen is the first wave of God is celebrated and the second wave of God is resisted, right? This is what can happen sometimes. So the first wave of God with the Jewish people in the Old Testament, it is celebrated. The second wave of God bringing the news to everyone, the second wave of God is resisted and you see it in church sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been to a church where it's like, look at what God did in our past. And there's a nostalgia that can be healthy, but it can also turn to resistance to the new thing that God is doing. And what can happen to the nostalgic church is that they forget the basic message that this is for everyone. It's for everyone. And they stop asking the question, how can we move our faith forward to how God is moving next? And in the lives of the people that he wants to move in next, how can we progress the message to the next generation? 
And when churches get serious about this is for everyone, Christmas is for everyone, Jesus is for everyone, Easter is for everyone, when they start to kind of have that mindset, how many of you know, just like Clark and just like the early church, it creates tension. As churches start changing the look of their building or changing their music style, as churches start changing things, it creates tension and it's normal. It's a, chi- it's a sign that a church is starting to ask questions like, how do we move it to what is next? If this is for everyone, how do we reach the everyone? How do we reach the next person? We celebrate what God has done in our past. How do we move the gospel forward into the future? And the engine that absolutely drives this mindset is this truth that we've been talking about. It is for everyone. I love how Paul says it in the Ephesian text. He says, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. You remember Paul's background? Church persecutor. Persecuted the church. He had overseen the persecution, imprisonment, and even death of Christians. And there came a day when Jesus met him on this road to Damascus. He was walking, a bright light shone in his face, and Jesus said, you're done with this. You're done with this persecution thing. I am saving you today, right? And he's like, done, all right? Because I, I think the light was pretty bright, all right? <laughs> it, was, it was bright enough to blind him. And so Paul became a Christian. And Paul would articulate to you and I that the reason Christ saved him was for this message. This is for everyone. Because I guarantee you, the people in the early church were like, if it's for Paul, if it's for Paul, Maybe it is for everyone. Because when Paul first entered the church, it created tension. Tension like you wouldn't believe. He's visiting their churches. Hey, hey, you imprisoned my cousin. You killed my mom or dad. You persecuted my family. Is this a trap? Is it a trick? What is it? And some people in the early church were like, we will never accept him. We will never accept him. Tension. And I love Paul's perspective. He says, God gave me this message so I could take it to the Gentiles. And that became Paul's role, is to take Jesus to the Gentiles. And he would say, he gave it to me so people would understand without a shadow of a doubt, this is for everyone. And look at what he says. What we're going to talk about is varsity league spirituality. So if you're like, I'm just not there yet. I I get this is varsity, but here's what Paul said. My sufferings are for your glory. (laughs) I am willing to suffer, Paul says, to see the message progress to the next generation. And it is a big question, is it not? Am I willing to suffer for someone else's glory? 
Am I willing to suffer for someone else's glory? Sometimes in this culture, we're not willing to be mildly inconvenienced, right, for someone else's glory. We're not willing to have our preferences unmet. We are not willing to go out of our way. But what Paul is talking about here, it is the major, major leaks. It is becoming obsessed with this idea. This is for everyone. So if everyone coming to Christ, if what is required of me is suffering, then my suffering is for your glory. It is a fun time of year. I know I'm preaching a little hard. For, I thought this was Christmas, dude, but dial it down, right? So it's a fun time of year. And it's a time to stand in wonder at what God has done through Jesus. But you know what else it is? It is a time to stand in wonder at who he's invited to be a part of it. That he has invited you. He has invited me. He has invited us. He has invited them. He has invited everyone. Not everyone will respond to the invitation, obviously. But the invitation for Christ is for everyone. And so it's a time, I think, of gratitude as we just kind of stand and wonder, maybe you do, you look back on your family history and your grandfather was a certain way and your dad was a certain way and everybody in your family has been a certain way and at some point Christ met you and he, he saved you and he brought you and you just stand and wonder at Christmas time. Like, I can't believe I'm a Christian. Nobody else in my family ever was. I can't believe I'm a Christian. And it's a time to stand and wonder at that. But I think it's also a time to stand in conviction. Because it's not just for me, it is for everyone. And so am I willing to suffer? Am I willing to take that step forward in order for the message to progress to the next person? Because the, the, the way the gospel has moved forward all throughout human history is each generation passes it to the next and says, this is for everyone. And it is for everyone. So the person that's wondering, today. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Am I accepted by God? I want you to know you're part of the everyone. This is for you. His work is sufficient on the cross to cover your sin. Trust in him. It's for you. To the person that feels stuck, the same sin you struggle with is the same sin your dad and your grandfather struggled with, and you feel stuck wondering if you can overcome. This is for you. You're part of the everyone. It's for you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in your situation, and you are more than an overcomer because of it. To the person that feels lost and without purpose, you're part of the everyone. This is for you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that you can't imagine. To the person that's scared about their future and you've had a bad diagnosis or someone you love has had a bad diagnosis, you're part of the everyone. This is for you. God is with you. He knows the future and he's already standing there and his power will absolutely be with you, empowering you to live each day. And to the person that feels so far from God, the person that feels so far from God, you're part of the everyone. This is for you. And he drew close to you so that you could draw close to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And we want to just stand in wonder right now 
at what you have done, that this is for everyone. Which means it's for me. It's for them. It's for us. It is for everyone. Not everyone will receive it, but it's for everyone. And so right now, we want to thank you for your grace and the way that you have progressed the message, loving Israel and establishing Israel first, and eventually through Jesus, moving it to beyond that to where is, uh, a Jew and non-Jew and Gentile alike can come and receive grace and confidence and new life in you. So we want to stand in awe at what you have done, that this is for everyone, but we also want to stand in conviction. We want to stand in conviction that we will never be a people that just receive and say, man, it ends with me. It's for me, and it's for only for me. We always want to move it to the next everyone. We want to move it to the next everyone so that everybody has an opportunity to at least receive the invitation. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive a communion together right now as a church family. Uh, and we want to just, exactly what I prayed about, we want to thank God that he's invited everyone. We want to thank him that he's invited us. but he was, We want to thank him uh, for, for that. But we also want to live in conviction about who is the next everyone that God would put in our path that we can share the message with. And you'll find two cups. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And you can just thank him for being the mystery, the answer to what God had been doing the entire time, the mystery of Christ. And then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive those emblems uh, together as a church family in, in just a few minutes. His body given for you, his blood poured out. God, we want to stand in wonder at what you have done and who you have done it for. May we be a people of gratitude, but also conviction and love for others. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, go ahead and stand up and let's sing one last song. Rejoice, O world, your Savior has come.